0: Hey, everyone, welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto 7 years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the April 21st, 2023 episode of Unchained. With the crypto.com app, you can buy, trade and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Hey Unchained listeners, Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Ever wanted to use DeFi without being tracked? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum, BSC, Arbitrum, and Polygon. Shield your funds and use them privately in your favorite DeFi apps, while Railgun's cutting-edge zero-knowledge system encrypts your data from public view. Yes, that includes DEX trading. Visit railgun.org or use the Railway app at railway.xyz. Today's guest is Jason Gottlieb, partner at Morrison-Cohen and chair of the Digital Assets Department. Welcome, Jason.
1: Thanks, Laura. It's great to be back with you.
0: The SEC has been in crypto news for all sorts of reasons recently. Let's start with a big one. SEC Chair Gary Gensler's dancing around the question of whether ETH is a security. In the House Banking Committee hearing earlier this week, what did you think of Chair Gensler's refusal to say whether or not ETH is a security?
1: Look, ETH isn't a security. It's uh, frankly pretty obvious to me, but even if it were, it's too late to do anything about it at this point, right? The SEC has statutes of limitations. Uh, ETH was first issued before five years ago. So there's really very little that uh, the SEC could do about that right now. Now, statute of limitations are very complicated things. So there's a lot of asterisks there. We won't get into that here. But I think that Chair Gensler is facing an uncomfortable reality. Even if he wanted to do something about it, there's nothing he could do about it. And he knows that if he's caught in a sort of trap there. If he declares, yes, I think ETH is a security, it could have all sorts of terrible knock-on effects in the market and would really have a devastating effect on the consumers that he's purporting to try to protect. On the other hand, if he said, well, ETH is not a security then you'd have 100,000 crypto projects saying, we're just like ETH, what's the problem here? So he was, he's caught in this very uncomfortable position where he doesn't want to say anything. But of course, if you have the chair of the SEC who can't even tell us a, a basic thing like whether ETH is a security, and then in the same breath tell us, but everything in crypto is very clear. Uh, the, the rules are very clear. The guidelines are very clear. It just comes off as as nonsense to everyone else who's listening to that.
0: I, I mean, I guess something that surprised me in your answer is you very clearly said that ETH is not a security, but Chair Gensler has implied in the past that all cryptos aside from Bitcoin are securities. So what gives you the confidence to say that? But also then, since he's kind of said it before, like, why didn't he just say it? I mean, I guess you kind of answered that. But I, anyway, I just find a lot of this sort of contradictory all around.
1: It is, and it, it speaks to the absolute mess of ambiguity that we're struggling with in the crypto markets. It's one thing for the SEC to wave a hand and say we think all digital assets are securities. Uh, but obviously that's nonsensical as, as a point of view. A digital asset is software, right? And you can sell it as part of an investment contract. There, that much is clear. But what's really new and truly innovative about cryptocurrencies is that you can separate the the software, the digital asset, from the investment contract. Right. You couldn't do that in, in the old days. If if somebody sold you a stock certificate on a piece of paper and that stock certificate came with rights to dividends and ownership and voting, you, you couldn't you couldn't take the the rights and the essential securityness off the piece of paper. They were they were stuck together. Right. And if you took that away, all you had was a piece of paper. You can't do anything with a piece of paper. But you can do things with tokens, right? ETH is something that you can use for all sorts of things, whether it be technological building or payments. I mean, I I, I paid Gabriel Haynes some ETH to send my son a a birthday message. It's hard to say that I engaged in a securities transaction there uh, with our our, uh, machete-wielding screaming friend. So it, it, it makes no sense To assert that this is a security. And it's another example of the SEC trying to shove cryptocurrencies into securities rules that aren't built for them.
0: But however, let's just say hypothetically that ETH does get named a security at some point in the future. Like what would be the knock on effects of that? How would that change the way it's traded or... Um, how would that change the asset itself?
1: Well, it would have an immediate hit. And you can see this from every single time that the SEC has attacked projects, either directly when they say this project uh, token is a security, or when they, it, as in the case of the uh, of the SEC's case against WAHI, uh, and we've seen it also in the New York Attorney General's case uh, against KuCoin that declared ETH was a security. Whenever a regulator comes out and says, this token is a security, the value of that token takes a hit because there's immediate doubt in the marketplace about what's going to happen. Am I going to be able to buy or sell this on exchanges? Are exchanges going to be forced in some way to consider delisting them? And in this way, you know, my, myself and many other folks who practice in this area have been decrying the SEC's targeted efforts to attack crypto projects, particularly when they're not in the room to defend themselves, uh, because it it ends up damaging the very consumers they're trying to protect. All of these people out there who hold ETH take an immediate hit on the value of their holdings for really no good reason at all. Like nothing has been accomplished. So this is far from being investor protection. Uh, it, it really is harming people who are holding ETH in the markets.
0: So now let's talk about the other big news. Well, there's I feel like there's so much big news around the SEC this week, but on Monday, the SEC charged Bittrex with failing to register as a broker-dealer exchange and clearing agency. And in the complaint, they listed six tokens, including Algo, OMG, and Dash as being securities. What were your takeaways from this complaint and what do you think it portends for future enforcement actions on exchanges?
1: I think that... The takeaway is the SEC is going to continue its pattern of regulation by enforcement, and and in particular regulation by enforcement against people who aren't in the room, against absent parties, right? There is nothing that OMG or Dash or IHT or Mana can do to intervene in that lawsuit or to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, this is wrong. We're not securities, Or even to employ the kinds of defenses that we alluded to earlier on, say, statute of limitations issues, right? Right from the very beginning of the Bittrex complaint, the SEC is saying from 2014 to the present, Bittrex made available all of these securities. And then if you dig down further into the complaint, you see that uh, the allegations are that OMG did an ICO in June 2017 and started trading on Bittrex in July 2017. That's more than five years ago, which takes a lot of the types of causes of action that the SEC could possibly bring pertaining to OMG directly off the table. But they're walking in through a side door and doing it here. So when you think about tokens that they have scrubbed to make sure that they're not securities, they've got the strongest argument they can to say that they're not securities, but the SEC gets to just come in and label them securities and in a few paragraphs in a complaint. And they don't have to meet any statutes of limitations, it really does a grave disservice to the people who put in all the hard work on those projects and all the people who are holding the tokens for those projects.
0: Well, what about exchanges that listed those tokens like OMG and Dash and Algo?
1: So it it puts exchanges in a very difficult place uh, because exchanges might wonder do we now have to delist this or are we going to get in trouble? Can the SEC come after us? For just listing this. And I think to be honest, there's a little bit of enforcement fatigue that's set in in the industry. When the SEC first declared that XRP was a security, a lot of the exchanges said, okay, we understand where the SEC is coming from. We don't agree, but we don't want the trouble. So we're going to quietly delist XRP. And then when the SEC came out in the WAHI case and named nine other tokens securities, I think a lot of exchanges set, sat back and said, you know something? We're not going to let the SEC just willy nilly name things as securities and force us then to take them off of our platforms. Because between that and the settlement uh, with Poloniex, where the SEC declared that many of the tokens were securities but never actually identified which ones, it then becomes a complete guessing game. We have no idea what the SEC is going to come out and name next or why. So it's sort of a fool's errand to to try to start guessing which uh, which of these tokens may be the SEC's next target and whether the SEC can possibly prove uh, any or all of these cases.
0: In a moment, we're going to talk more about enforcement actions against exchanges. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Join over 80 million people using Crypto.com, one of the easiest places to buy, trade and spend over 250 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 5% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix and Spotify subscriptions, and zero annual fees. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code Laura. Link in the description. Back to my conversation with Jason. The SEC also recently filed charges against Bixi, saying it operated as an unregistered exchange, some are saying that this case could be a playbook for how the SEC could go after Coinbase. So what did the SEC take issue with in regards to BXE? And why is this being seen as a precursor to a potential Coinbase case?
1: Well, if we look at, at both BXE and Bittrex, we can see what the SEC is focused on. They're focused on Section 5 of the Exchange Act, which deals in affecting transactions in securities. Section 15A of the Exchange Act, which deals with being a broker without a license, and Section uh, 17A, little b, of the Exchange Act, uh, which is performing the functions of a clearing agency without being properly registered as a clearing agency. In the Bittrex complaint and in his testimony before Congress, uh, Gensler went a little further on these points to say that these are traditional exchange functions that have been separated in tradfi markets to avoid conflicts of interest that might occur uh, between these functions in, in affecting transactions, exchange transactions, brokering transactions, clearing transactions. So you know he's describing this very traditional tradfi world and telling digital asset exchanges: we think all of your digital assets are securities, and therefore you must fit yourselves into the boxes of being a securities exchange or an ATS, a broker or a clearing agency, and that's what you can do and that's all you can do. These are our rules, follow them or you're done. And I think that that portends very poorly for a lot of the industry because that attitude would suggest that there is literally no way to be a digital asset exchange in the United States. Because, let's face it, you can't be a clearing agency for digital assets that may or may not be securities. You just can't follow all the rules for that. You can't be an exchange or even an ATS. You can't follow the rules for that. And if you want to have digital asset brokers, then FINRA needs to approve digital asset brokers, and the SEC is not letting that happen either. So on the one hand, the SEC is saying, here are all the things that you're doing that are bad. And all you have to do is follow the rules. But what they're not saying, at least out loud, is, oh, by the way, you can't possibly follow all these rules unless you give up the whole digital assets thing and just go back to traditional securities. The overall effect of that is the SEC's rule is simply, no, you can't do crypto in America. And that's the reason we're seeing people increasingly start to move offshore.
0: And so is this why when Chair Gensler calls on crypto companies to come in and register that people say this is sort of like a disingenuous statement because there isn't anything that they can actually do in that regard
1: that's absolutely true and uh commissioner purse has called that out saying you know we tell them to come in and register and they come in and we send them home with a court date you know what has happened when uh, i've gone in to speak with them and when others of my colleagues have gone in to speak with them We've gone in with projects that want to do the right thing that really want to register and find that there are problems in the rules and regulations that won't let them follow those rules they just can't do it with digital assets so all the well-meaning projects out there and the vast majority of these projects are well-meaning right if they're calling me if they're calling other lawyers and saying please help us follow the law We want to talk to the SEC and figure out how to follow the law. I mean, these are these are not the fraudsters in the space. These are not the bad actors. These are the people who want to do it right and want to follow the law. And we go in and talk to the SEC. And what we hear time and time again is, well, you know, we see some problems with that. We can't give you legal advice on how to structure it the right way. So good luck to you. And this just hasn't been very helpful. We've been asking literally for five, six, seven years for a rulemaking effort that could provide a path to follow the law because the good actors, and again, they're mostly good actors. They want to follow the law, but they find they're caught in this trap where if you want to do digital assets, it's virtually impossible to follow every bit of these regulations. And that's a big problem. It's a big problem in America because it leads to a situation where, uh, we're not allowing a path for good actors to be out there, which means, A, you're abandoning the space to some less good actors in, in some instances, but B, the good actors are, are going abroad or uh, foreign-run companies are stepping into that breach. So if we want to honor investor protection in America, and, and we do, We have to provide a path for people to actually be registered, to be lawful, and then we can look to those investor protections. If not, we're basically telling investors, sorry, you're on your own, You know, go somewhere else. And maybe they go to a a European exchange or a BVI exchange that are, are following rules and are registered and are very good, but maybe they go to some other exchange that doesn't have the same kinds of investor protections that we would like to see. And that's just Bad for American investors.
0: Yeah, I saw another argument, like a slightly different way of saying the same thing, which was in the letter by House Republicans on the Financial Services Committee. They said that they didn't believe that national securities exchange regulations made sense for digital assets because cryptocurrencies can be used for non-investment purposes. So that was like another way of saying, like you keep you know trying to fit uh, fit these companies into a certain box, and and it doesn't work. Um, So now let's just talk about this effort to expand the definition of an exchange, which I feel like this is maybe a a more challenging or or even bureaucratic and therefore more boring thing for uh, people to wrap their heads around. But can you explain how it is that the SEC is proposing to change this definition and how that could impact the crypto world?
1: Yes, yeah, so the SEC has uh, proposed an amendment to uh, rule 3b16 which talks about requirements for exchanges, but by expanding the definition of exchange in the proposed rule uh, on which they invited comment, there were numerous comments from people in the crypto industry that said, "Hey, hey, wait a minute, hang on a second. The definitions that you are proposing would sweep in DeFi, would sweep in uh, decentralized protocols." and force them to do things that they literally cannot do. So, you know, anyone who's uh, listening to your show is going to be familiar with DeFi and DeFi protocols, but effectively it's just software. So if you have a software protocol where people can interact on a peer-to-protocol basis with that software, there is a limit to what the software can do. It's designed to be limited so that it can be simple, right? You you perform your functions and everything is going to work the way everyone thinks it ought to work, and that's the reason that you don't need the, the human intermediation. But what the exchange rule amendment would propose to do, uh, at least to, at first, they were they were doing it in a, in a super sneaky way by not mentioning DeFi at all. It would sweep in DeFi and say that DeFi protocols have certain obligations for uh, reporting and, and other kinds of uh, other kinds of obligations that a typical exchange would have. That makes no sense if you're dealing with just software, right? There is no human there to keep track of all the records and make sure that they're doing the reporting. So a, a lot of crypto companies said, hey, wait a minute, you're sweeping in DeFi in ways that, that DeFi cannot possibly accommodate. Uh, and for that reason, we should slow down on this. In last Friday's meeting, the SEC agreed to reopen the comment period, which was the only silver lining here. But the uh, storm clouds surrounding that silver lining was that uh, Chair Gensler made it very clear that, yes, the Exchange Act amendments were designed to apply to DeFi and were designed to sweep in DeFi. And as a result, you know there's a comment period open, and I, I do encourage uh, everyone out there to get in uh, comments. Uh, you know, send your comments into the SEC. But at the end of it, I don't have a lot of optimism that they're going to change the rule as it is. So I, I think that we're going to see actions, you know, potentially being considered against DeFi protocols under these rules. Which is going to be a, a, a complete mess uh, because it, the rules are nonsensical to apply to DeFi protocols. And I think in the enforcement actions would similarly be nonsensical.
0: I completely expect the crypto industry to flood the SEC with their own comments on this, as we've seen in the past. But at the end there, where you said that it would be a complete mess, what would that look like for the SEC to regulate DeFi in the way that it seems they're proposing through this rule change?
1: I mean, in a way, to to use a very, you know, silly analogy, right, if DeFi protocols are are just, you know, they're fruits, like they're apples, they're bananas, they've got their one thing that they do, it's an apple, you can eat it, that's what you can do. And, uh, you know, the SEC's exchange rules are basically mandating that uh, all fruits should be mammals, should be bears. And, you know, the apple can't be, it just can't be, it doesn't work. So we're going to have some enforcement actions uh, against Apple's uh, blaming them for not being bears. And it doesn't make any sense to do that. I think what we're giving up is the idea that DeFi can work in principle at all. The SEC operates through intermediaries, right? When we talked before about exchanges, about brokers, about clearing agencies, these are all about intermediaries because the the SEC, and in fact, the the rest of the federal government has decided it can't possibly look everywhere all at once for everything. the, the, The federal government is not Michelle Yao. They're not everything everywhere all at once. So they've decided to rely on these intermediaries to do their policing for them. If you have a DeFi, protocol, what that does by its very nature is disintermediation. We don't need the intermediary because we've got the software and the software is going to work the way it works every time and that's it. And Instead of looking at that software and thinking, hmm, that's interesting, how can we develop this further to try to avoid hacks, to try to avoid people who are uh, manipulating the software in ways it was not designed, instead of thinking about the ways we can try to innovate but protect consumers, the SEC's exchange rule is saying, well, you know, if you can't, if, if you're not an intermediary, then you can't do it at all. And again, this is just, uh, you know, it's it's blaming an Apple for not being a securities exchange.
0: Yeah. SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce's commentary on this was, quote, it seems perverse to me that we would be encouraging centralization. Um, and she was referring to you know, just all the collapses that we saw in 2022 and crypto um, amongst centralized entities. Well, Jason, this has been an extremely illuminating conversation. Thank you so much for coming on Unchained. Uh, It's
1: always great to see you, Laura.
0: Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for this week in crypto after this short break. Ever wanted to use DeFi without being tracked? Railgun is the leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. It's available on BSC, Arbitrum, and Polygon, 2. Shield your funds and use them privately in your favorite DeFi apps, while Railgun's cutting-edge, zero-knowledge system encrypts your data from public view, all without leaving your preferred chain. Yes, that includes DEX trading. Coming soon are integrations with leading yield, lending, and PERP trading platforms on multiple chains. DeFi and privacy, together at last. Visit Railgun.org or use the Railway app at Railway.xyz to find out more. Thanks for tuning in to this week's News Recap. VC firm wants FTX to reboot. Despite FTX's controversial collapse and accusations of fraud in November last year, the exchange may soon see a resurgence, as venture capital firm Tribe Capital is considering spearheading a $250 million fundraising campaign to bring it back to life. The VC, an investor in both FTX and its U.S. subsidiary, FTXUS, plans to contribute $100 million and raise additional capital from external investors. Tribe's co-founder Arjun Sethi reportedly met with FTX's Committee of Unsecured Creditors in January to discuss an informal proposal for the relaunch. This move has raised eyebrows given FTX's tumultuous past. Also this week, the FTX Committee of Official Creditors disclosed that it is collaborating with the firm's liquidators to examine options for rebooting or selling the exchange. The committee has urged interested parties to contact the debtors and the committee itself while awaiting the launch of a formal process. These developments follow last week's revelation by FTX's lead bankruptcy attorney, Andrew Diederich, that the exchange has recovered $7.3 billion in assets and is looking at potentially restarting the exchange. Meanwhile, basketball legend Shaquille O'Neal has been served in a class-action lawsuit against FTX founder Sam bankman fried following a three-month pursuit by the plaintiff's lawyers. Montenegrin prosecutors submit indictment proposal for Do Kwan. Prosecutors in Montenegro have submitted a proposal for the indictment of Terraform Labs co-founder Do Kwan and his chief financial officer, Han Cheng Jun, according to Bloomberg Law. Kwan was arrested in Montenegro last month for attempting to travel with forged documents, and is currently in custody in Podgorica. He faces challenges in both the U.S. and South Korea, both of which have filed requests for his extradition, though it is believed that South Korea will likely be granted priority in the extradition process. Moreover, the Korean founder sent a $7 million payment to South Korean law firm Kim and Chang prior to UST and Luna's unraveling, according to another Bloomberg report, citing local media outlet KBS News. South Korean prosecutors confirmed that the report isn't false. However, the law firm has not provided specific details about the case, only stating that it offered legal advisory services and received a fee for doing so. In a separate development, a U.S. judge has denied Quan's bid to block the Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, from seeking records about Terraform Labs from the Singapore Monetary Authority. The SEC is pursuing records as part of its lawsuit against Terraform Labs and Do Kwon, Alleging they offered and sold unregistered securities and engaged in a scheme that led to the stablecoin's collapse, wiping out at least $40 billion worth of market value. Juan has also been charged with fraud by U.S. prosecutors in New York. Stablecoin legislation heats up in the U.S. The U.S. House Financial Services Committee has released a draft bill proposing a two year ban on new stablecoins collateralized by other cryptocurrencies rather than fiat currency. The legislation also calls for federal banking regulators to establish interoperability standards between stablecoin payment systems and puts the Federal Reserve in charge of regulating non bank stablecoin issuers like Circle and Tether. The bill is expected to generate debate and undergo revisions in the coming weeks. Circle CEO Jeremy Allaire expressed concerns over the draft bill, tweeting, quote, The role of the dollar in the world is at stake. Meanwhile, Representative French Hill, Republican of Arkansas, and chairman of the subcommittee holding the hearing, praised the bipartisan effort, while Representative Stephen Lynch, Democrat of Massachusetts, questioned the necessity of stablecoins and referred to the draft language as, quote, outdated. During the initial congressional hearing on Wednesday, Democrats voiced skepticism regarding the draft bill, casting doubt on the chances of successfully passing stablecoin legislation in the country. Also in the hearing, New York's banking regulator, Superintendent Adrian Harris, refuted claims that Signature Bank's failure was due to its exposure to the crypto industry. Harris stated that the bank's collapse was not related to crypto, clarifying that only 20% of that 20% of deposits leaving the bank were crypto-related. She emphasized that the majority of withdrawn funds belonged to normal commercial customers with uninsured deposits. Coinbase would consider locating outside the U.S., While the United States keeps debating on how to regulate digital assets, big crypto players continue to move forward. This week, Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong stated that the crypto exchange might consider relocating from the U.S. if regulatory clarity for the industry doesn't improve, with, quote, anything on the table to ensure the company's growth. Furthermore, Coinbase is one step closer to launching an offshore derivatives exchange after obtaining a license from the Bermuda Monetary Authority. The crypto exchange praised Bermuda for being a, quote, highly respected and experienced financial regulator, and acknowledged its comprehensive digital asset regulation. Reports suggest that Coinbase's expansion, which includes trading perpetual swaps tied to cryptocurrencies, could occur as early as next week. Voyager's asset sale to Binance US gets green light from US government. The US government approved the majority of Binance US's $1 billion deal to acquire assets from bankrupt crypto firm Voyager. According to recent court filings, the U.S. government agreed to allow non-contentious elements of the deal to proceed before the appeal is heard. The remaining contentious elements, including the exculpation provision, which would keep Voyager from being held liable for past or future civil or criminal liability to the government, will remain on hold. Voyager's creditor committee is now working with Voyager and Binance U.S. to expedite the process, pending district court approval. The deal, announced in December, aims to return customer funds to Voyager's creditors through a voluntary restructuring process. Dutch court grants Tornado Cash developer home detention. A Netherlands court ruled that Alexei Pertsev, the Russian developer involved with the Tornado Cash privacy protocol, can await trial at home. Pertsev was arrested in August by the Dutch Financial Crime Authority, FIOD. Quote, we are ecstatic that he can be set free, said Pertsev's lawyer, Keith Cheng who emphasized the significance of privacy on Ethereum in Pertsev's defense. Pertsev will be released next Wednesday under electronic monitoring, wearing an ankle bracelet but without financial security. The U.S. Treasury Department previously sanctioned Tornado Cash, accusing it of enabling North Korea to launder funds. Pertsev faces charges of laundering over 500,000 Ether, which he denies. EU Passes Landmark Mika Crypto Regulation In stark contrast to the American approach, the European Parliament has passed the Markets and Crypto Assets Regulation, providing clarity and a unified framework for crypto businesses in the EU. Mika, seen as a potential global standard setter, has drawn attention from other jurisdictions and offers legal access to the entire EU market for licensed firms. Russia turns to crypto mining. The Bank of Russia is working on a bill to introduce a, quote, experimental legal regime for cryptocurrencies in export-import transactions to find alternatives to the U.S. dollar's dominance in global finance, especially in light of international sanctions. The plan includes the establishment of special organizations dedicated to mining crypto and processing payments for cross-border trade deals, although specifics remain to be hammered out. Crypto trading and payments within Russia will stay banned, while the government is developing legislation to create a national agency for licensing and supervising cryptocurrency platforms operating in the country. New tax regulations for miners are also being formulated as part of this regulatory effort. Elvira Nayulina, head of the Bank of Russia, announced the central bank's intentions, while her deputy, Alexei Guznov, confirmed that discussions with the government are underway to determine which organizations are eligible to participate and how to vet their business models and banking partners. FlashBots Beta Launches MEV Share FlashBots introduced the beta version of its MEV Share protocol, designed to distribute maximal extractable value or MEV profits to Ethereum users. Integrated with FlashBots Protect, an RPC tool that defends against MEV, the protocol gives users control over the execution of their transactions on the Ethereum network. Users can adjust privacy settings and manage order flow sharing while maintaining privacy and earning MEV redistribution awards. The MEV share protocol is available for all MEV niche participants and the code will be open-sourced following the beta phase. If you are interested in learning more about MEV and, in particular, how it is being distributed back to users, don't miss the Tuesday episode of Unchained where we did a deep dive on the topic. Market Responds Positively to Shanghai Upgrade Following Ethereum's Shanghai Upgrade on April 12th, the network has seen a significant uptick in interest, as staked Ether deposits have outpaced withdrawals for the first time since the upgrade's activation. Data from Nansen reveals that, since Monday, the amount of deposits has been consistently higher than withdrawals. Analysts believe that the heightened interest can be attributed to the reduced risk of staking Ether, as the Shanghai upgrade allows for withdrawals of locked coins at will. In related staking news, decentralized staking service Rocket Pool has made it easier for users to become validators by creating eight ETH bonded mini-pools, which further incentivizes participation in the network. Arbitrum rejects governance proposal to return tokens. The Arbitrum community has overwhelmingly voted against the controversial AIP 1.05 proposal, which demanded the return of 700 million ARB tokens from the Arbitrum Foundation to the Dow Treasury. About 84% of voters using 118 million ARB tokens rejected the proposal, which faced criticism as an unnecessary, quote, power play, with some members believing it could jeopardize the Arbitrum Foundation's future if the DAO faced challenges in approving further funding. AIP 1.05 also called for the disclosure of the terms of a $10 million over-the-counter deal with market maker Wintermute. However, this was also opposed as Castle Capital founder Adamist argued that such disclosure could deter private entities from engaging with Arbitrum in the future. MakerDAO approves $500 million USDC transfer to Coinbase Custody. MakerDAO voted to transfer up to $500 million in USDC stablecoins to Coinbase Custody, which will pay a 2.6% annual yield on deposits. The decision is part of MakerDAO's strategy to diversify its reserves and increase revenues by investing in traditional financial assets. The move follows an earlier decision to move up to $1.6 billion of USDC to Coinbase. As per the approved proposal, the assets in the account cannot be rehypothecated and must be kept in cold crypto wallets. Mystery exploit drains $10 million from OG crypto wallets. MetaMask developer Taylor Monahan recently uncovered a large-scale wallet-draining operation that has affected crypto wallets on over 11 blockchains. The unidentified exploit has drained more than 5,000 ETH valued at around $10 million from long-term users' wallets. Monahan said, quote, This is not a low brow phishing site or a random scammer. It has not wrecked a single noob. It only wrecks OGs. The victim's private keys were created between 2014 and 2022, and their on-chain activity indicated a more crypto-native profile. The exploit is not MetaMask specific and appears to involve compromised seed phrases. While the source of this exploit remains unknown, Kaspersky recently reported serious vulnerabilities in Apple's operating system that could compromise crypto asset security. In related news, the hacker who stole nearly $9 million from SafeMoon's liquidity pool last month agreed to return 80% of the funds, totaling $7.1 million while keeping 20% as a bug bounty. Soldier Boy was accused of promoting multiple scam NFT projects on social media, according to research by internet investigator Zach XBT, who found 73 promotions and 16 NFT drops by the rapper, many of which turn out to be scams. Time for fun bits. Ginny from Unchained has a take on Twitter partnering
2: with eToro to launch crypto trading on the Bluebird app. Twitter is partnering with eToro to bring crypto trading to the app. This is shocking. I had no idea that Twitter did not already allow crypto trading. Why is there so much spam? eToro is a social trading platform for mom and pop traders. Though, so if I had to guess, I'd say the crypto traders on the app are mostly on the pop side. Twitter has also launched a cash tag feature where if you type a dollar sign before a stock symbol, you'll get the stock price. Although I just tried this with Twitter's own stock and got an error, which is probably a bug. Apparently the cash tag symbol has been used 420 million times, which seems kind of suspicious. 420, really? Why is Elon Musk a parody of himself? Bitcoin is one of the most searched terms, but I imagine we won't get the exact number until it hits 69 million. This follows the news of PBS and NPR quitting Twitter over being labeled government-funded media. Which does seem harsh. I once interned at NPR, and I can assure you they're funded by basically no one. must be somewhat relaxing to be in Elon's shoes right now, though. Like, you can't make Twitter worse. Thanks so much for
0: joining us today. To learn more about Jason and the SEC's recent actions, check out the show notes for this episode. If you've been enjoying Unchained, please rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with that from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, Kevin Fuchs, Matt Pilchard, Zach Seward, Wanda Ranovich, Sam Shriwam, Jenny Hogan, Ben Munster, Jeff Benson, Leandro Camino, Pamela Jemdar, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.